As we continue in this Advent season, we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus uh, by looking at the stories of Jesus from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're going to look at the Gospel according to Matthew. We're going to go to the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, maybe on your Bible app, or the words will be on the screen. It is a church tradition that when we hear the words of the gospel, the words of our Lord Jesus, we stand. And so as you're able, will you stand for the reading of the gospel? In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up descendants, children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, that's a great Christmas story, isn't it? I know you're thinking, I like it. I like it. You know, Christmas has it all. Trees, poinsettias, and don't they look great? Nativity scenes, candles, gifts, meals, parties, eternal fire. It's got it all. (laughs) You know, you look at this story and you think, that's kind of an odd time to talk about it. You know, when you talk about repentance, you know, repentance is kind of like a diet. You don't want to start it before Christmas. You want to start it after Christmas. You know, who starts a diet on December 8th? Nobody, right? You're like, I'm going to wait till December 26th. Oh, wait, there's New Year's coming. January 2nd, I'll make it my New Year's resolution, right? That's good. He's with me. I like it. Thank you, Brennan. So repentance is like, well, why do why we got to bring the party down now? I mean, surely there have got to be more exciting things to talk about. For heaven's sakes, this is in the Bible after Jesus is born. Can't we wait till some Sunday in January where the attendance is really low, like a bad weather day? We can talk about this. Repentance. 
Um, but somehow in the history and tradition of the wisdom of the church that is longer than my wisdom, the church has said that before we get to Christmas, we come through Advent. And one of the chief characters of Advent is John the Baptist. And he's quite a character, isn't he? We're told that he is a Nazarite earlier in Luke's gospel. Uh, That means he doesn't cut his hair. He doesn't drink any of the fruit of the vine. And we find that he wears clothing of camel's hair and a belt tied around his waist. And his diet consists of locusts sweetened with honey. Which is a little austere, I must admit. And then he comes with this wild message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Now I've got to be careful here. Repentant, that's a tough word. There's some of you I know in here that you grew up in churches where that word was used as a weapon. You better repent. Turn or burn. And, you're like, and now you're like, I'm in a Methodist church. I thought I went to a Methodist church, so I didn't have to hear that anymore. You're like, this is as bad as that Leviticus sermon you had a couple of months ago. <laughs> and, and, you know, repentance, and, and a lot of people use it as a weapon, you know, because when a lot of people say repent, what they're saying is you need to behave less like you and more like me. And you're like, I don't really want to behave like you. But maybe what if repentance wasn't about saying, you know, you gotta, you got to act more like, more like what we, we, we expect you to act like. What if that wasn't what repentance was at the core really about? What if repentance were a little bigger than that? That, that word repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. You've heard that. It's two words pushed together, and it literally means to turn around. So I've just now metanoia, hi Darren, and I've metanoia again, and now I'm back where I started, right? So a metanoia, just a turning around. Well, metanoia could also mean to rethink, to rethink. Um, John the Baptist, he comes out of a line in the Bible uh, uh, that comes out of the prophet Elijah, if we look at the end of the, New, uh, the Old Testament, rather, in the book of Malachi, uh, the book of Malachi looks forward to the day of the Lord's coming and says, but before then, another Elijah will come. Another Elijah will come to prepare the way. So the camel hair and the belt and the locusts and the honey, that's all to remind us that John the Baptist is that Elijah figure. He is preparing the way for something else, something he says he is not worthy to untie the sandals. And what is that something else? It's the whole focus of Advent. It's the whole focus of Christmas. It's the focus that God is on the way. Why is God on the way? God is on the way because we are in desperate need. You see, from the beginning of the Bible, we see that God created us to be in relationship, that we broke that relationship. This comes up in every sermon I preach because it's at the very basics of all Christian theology. 
and, and we break relationship with God and God will stop at nothing to restore and renew us. And when we sin and we break relationship, what happens is not only uh, do we do what is wrong, but the whole creation, the whole world around us likewise falls, likewise struggles. And so it looks at a world that is affected and afflicted by suffering and sin. And you believe that. I know you believe that. Who among us, we could do a show of hands, thinks there's something wrong with the world today? You're with you. A few of you are already raising your hands. You didn't have to because I know it, we look around. I love that song. There's a new song. We, we're going to sing it next week, I think, at early service. It's just written. It's just taken the, uh, the world by, 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 the, by the Christian community, musical community by storm. And it, you know, it says, uh, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Uh, Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you wish that it could all be made brand new? We do. It's about that. It's that longing and yearning. Uh, You know, how many of us, you you know, we, we, we lament and we yearn about the divisive nature of our politics, how many of us do a yearn in for, for a, a, a culture that is not so angry and hostile, for reduction in violence, shootings? How many of us wish that there could be something done? And so God comes. So God sends Jesus. And repentance, though, comes when we take the next step, when we say, not only do we need Jesus for the world, but we need Jesus for me. We need Jesus for me. Because, you know, it's somewhat easy for us to look at the world and say, it is not yet how, it is not how it should be, but then when we realize that yet neither are we. We lament the division of our politics and the rancor and the divisive rhetoric and then we listen to cable news and we listen to that politician that drives us crazy. You know who it is. Imagine if it's Donald Trump or Elizabeth Warren. It probably covers the waterfront for most of you. One of those, when you listen to them, you just want to scream. And you realize that the bitterness and the rancor that's on TV is the bitterness and rancor that is in your heart. That you cannot see them as a beloved person, beloved of God. That you struggle to imagine that they are not corrupt, that they are not malignant. And you say, well, look what they're trying to do to our country. And it doesn't matter who it is. But at that point, we, we refuse to acknowledge humanity and instead, we've, we, that divisiveness runs through our own heart. Or we hear the stories of tragic shootings and, and attacks on children or attacks on our military as we had this week, and we get angry in our heart and say, what I wouldn't do to them. And the anger and the violence is in here too. Now maybe some of you are like, I never have any of those thoughts. I want to talk to you after service. How do you do that? Because I don't know about you, but I find that a lot of those problems out there are really, in the end, problems that in some measure are inside me. And I bet 
they're probably inside you too. I know we're all well-behaved people here, but what if we really did have a need? A need for things to be made new, a need that somehow that this world could be made over and you and I could be part of it. What if God actually said he would do that? What if that's really what Christmas was all about? That Christmas is a sign of God's rescue mission. That God, Christmas is a sign that God has come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And that he has come to judge and to save. And how does he do it? He does it on a cross. Because you see, when the power of sin and death in this world, I mean, think about it. What's the worst thing that anyone can do to you in this life? Kill you. That's what they did to Jesus. Maybe quite prolonged as it was with Jesus. And so the power of sin that was not his own, but that was in the world, came and pressed down upon Jesus on that cross, and it looked like it had crushed him. That sin and death, the bitterness would have the final word. But three days later, we find it doesn't. We find that life has the final word. We find that the struggles that you face, that all the sin that poured down on Jesus, that was placed as a burden upon his shoulder, that that power was not powerful against God. And that that sin that God, intend, that God has borne in his son Jesus, that sin does not have to cover and restrain us either. You see, we can be made new. And so the question becomes, will you turn around? Because you see, you and I are in this world with these powers that hold us. But God says there is a new world coming. Because you see, you say, well, gee, you know, if, if the power of sin and death really was defeated on Easter, why do, I, why do I still sin and why do people die? Because the power is still there, but it is defeated, it is limited. God is finishing up the job and he will do so. The scriptures promise us not only when Jesus went to, to heaven, ascended into heaven, to sit at the right hand of God, but the Nicene Creed reminds us that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. See, the promise is that one day Jesus is going to come and bring final victory. So in a way, when we celebrate Advent, we don't celebrate, oh gee, as only Jesus would be born again. That's not what we celebrate. What we actually celebrate is, because we look at the first time Jesus comes, Advent says, let's look to the second time he's coming as well. Because when he comes the second time, well, this week, on my Bible study, we looked at the book of Revelation, we're not going to get too deep in the book of Revelation. Some of you were there. We talked for 45, okay, 50, I mean, it may have been 55 minutes 
on the book of Revelation, and we talked about how in that book it tells us that in the end, the, all the oppressive powers of this world are going to be judged and are going to be defeated by the lamb that was slain. And what we find is when, when it is defeated, when, the, the, when Babylon, the, the image of all that is oppressive, the image of Rome in, in the first century's day, but the image of all oppressive systems, when, when it is defeated, what is the response? I hadn't noticed it before this week. The response is crying and not happy crying. Why is that? You're like, wait, 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 you're telling me. I thought you're telling me that Jesus coming is a good thing. Well, hold on. I'm, I'm tr- let's, let's not get the, I'm not gonna try to, I'm not gonna try to, I'm trying not to confuse you too much, but let me tell you, this is another thing. What happened was the people cried because it reminds us that they had become wealthy in the midst of that oppressive system. And folks, I just want to tell you, we're looking around, I'm looking around today. There are a lot of us that have managed to do well in the midst of the world as it is. I know, it's a little tough right there. I have. I, I, I mean, I've got the best job ever. I, you all pay me to talk about Jesus. It's the best job. Like, this world's working really well. And you know, in Jesus' day, there were people for whom the world was working really well. Yeah, they were under foreign occupation, but then there were those leaders, and they were, John refers them, John calls them out, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They managed to make a difficult, oppressive system work for them. They managed to be in charge. The Sadducees did it by cozying up to the Roman officials and said, you know, as long as you let us do our thing and keep our money, uh, we'll support you. And the Pharisees, uh, basically, they had the people, and they said, as long as we're faithful to to our interpretations, we're going to be fine. They managed to become wealthy in many cases. And, And so what happens is when they come, John calls them out. It's uncomfortable. Are you uncomfortable yet? I'm a little uncomfortable. Um, and he calls him out and he says, who told you you need to repent? He knew what was in their hearts. You see, what they wanted was maybe things just a little bit better. And I think a lot of us are the same way. You know, we've got things working for us. Let's not mess up a good thing while we're there. Yeah, it's not ideal. But I think what happens is sometimes we can be so comfortable in ourselves. I'm serious, folks. We're, I'm, I'm, ste- I'm going from preaching to meddling here. We can be so comfortable in ourselves, we refuse to look beyond ourselves to what God might do that's even better. Do you hear me? See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, their problem was they figured this is all there is. These people coming down, they're simple people. It says, you know, people were coming out of the caves and they were just pouring down to this crazy man in the camel hair jacket and the leather waist uh, the, uh, who, whose breath, oh my God, his breath from eating locusts. Never mind. Um, And they come down and they say, you know, we can make it right. And and John calls them to something deeper, something more amazing, and that's grace. And that's saying, what if we gave up all of ourselves in favor of what he can do? What if we rethink our plans and we think instead what God's plans might be? Would that make a difference? 
I think that's what he's talking about when he's talking about repentance is that grace to be part not just of making this life a little bit better, not just of slight improvements, but of total restoration and change that you and I can be part of it. And he's saying what you have to do is come and instead of looking down at yourself, look up at him. Instead of dwelling on how I can fix now, dwell on what he can do. See, that's grace Many years ago, I heard it put this way, that grace is the ability to change. See, as Methodists, as Wesleyans, we believe that when God's grace gets a hold of you, it changes you. We believe that God meets you where you are, but doesn't dare leave you where you are, because where you are is not where you can be. Wherever you are right now is not where you have to be stuck forever. But like most people, that's what we think. I'm like, you know, it's like, guys, when we get sick, how many of us are convinced we're never going to get better? We're just going to die. None of you? I do it all the time. I get a cold, I'm like, I'm going to cough forever, then I'm going to die. You're like, you're weird. Uh, (laughs) But right? (laughs) Wives are like, yes, honey, you do that. But it's like, can we imagine this Christmas that God might be doing something amazing. That maybe because of Jesus, he came, he suffered and died, breaking the power of sin and death and invites us to be part of something new, something yet to be born, something yet to happen, but something we can be a part of today because we can be part of the kingdom of God wherever we let God be our king. It's that simple. You see, when you accept Jesus into your life to forgive you, to save you, but to be your Lord, you, can become, you are part of the kingdom of God. You are part of what is coming. And the first fruits of that will come in your own soul. That's what repentance is, to turn, to rethink that maybe I don't have it all figured out, but maybe somehow God can make a difference in my life, that somehow maybe God can do something new in my life and in my midst. And that whole doing something new, that we can turn around that we can have grace, that God is doing something. Well, call me crazy, but doesn't that really, in the end, sound a lot like Christmas? God with us? Let's pray.